This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Head of Rugby at the University of Bath, Aaron James. He discusses how to create an elite performance environment, as well as the process of upskilling players. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. So, Aaron, how are things? Very good, mate. Very good, Roddy. Yeah. Um, obviously, we chatted briefly before. It's nice to hear you and family are all well in these kind of strange times, um, which is good. I guess for those of people who don't really know who you are, or haven't got your background, etc., do you just want to explain kind of what your role is um, at the University of Bath and what you do there, etc.? Well, um, my, my job title is the head of rugby. Uh, which I oversee um, the performance programs at, for, for Team Bath and at the university, which is mostly the first and second team, which is a squad of about 75 players. Um, but I also oversee the rest of the club, which contains uh, seven, eight, sorry, eight men's teams and one women's team, uh, but also links in uh, rugby league and touch rugby into the rugby club. So I'm a sort of a, a strategically help the, the student rugby club uh, manage themselves and the continuity around that. Um, managing, uh, we, we, we are in a national league of uh, the top 10 universities in the country, um, which is called the Buck Super League, which is a pretty strong competition. Um, that goes up as far as New, you know, Northumbria and Durham, uh, down as far as Exeter and as wide as Swansea. Um, yeah, that's in general role. Uh, manage um, uh, staff of physios, um, administrators and other coaches, uh, including placement students, uh, totaling about 12, I think. Um and I also am a coach mentor uh, for the Rugby Football Union doing their Level 3 and Level 4 courses and also mentor some other coaches around Team Bath. Okay, so in terms of your role at Bath, how long have you been in the role? How long have you been around the region working like this? So I won't say too long, righty, but I've been there um, just over, this is my 11th year. Okay. So you would, I'd imagine you've seen quite a change in terms of what the university looks like, what the program and stuff looks like. How has that changed during your time? Oh, it's changed massively. We've gone from, I think when we started, we had 150 rugby, 160 rugby club members. Now we've got through 410, I think. Um, so they, the numbers are growing. Uh but it's just changed. I think we had five teams. Now we've got eight men's teams. Um, we had one women's team. We've still got that. Um, but, yeah, it's really gone on, probably moved professionally. Uh, we've linked up uh, with a partnership with Bath Rugby. So we've got most of their academy players at the university. Uh, probably got 80 to 90% of them play or study and train at the university. Um yeah, and, and as I say, we're just we're in this uh, Super League, which um, 
has some of the operating standards, minimum operating standards, equivalent to, you know, second-tier professional. Um, and the way we run things is, as we call it, um, professional with a small P, because uh, we don't pay anyone. But the way it's run would be as professionally run as, as, a, as a championship side, effectively, or, or, or equaling it. So, obviously, that's relatively new, isn't it, the Super League? Is it, what, a couple of years old now? Yeah, it's just done its third year. Um, so, yeah, and it keeps going strength to strength. You know, guys, uh, it's been quite a strong pathway into professional rugby for some people. So, we've probably, over the three years, have had a, excuse me, probably a, a, a dozen gone into the professional rugby. Um, some have already been linked there, but have gone um, strongly into it. So whether that's uh, premiership or championship clubs. And then in terms of like the standard itself, did you find that a big jump up for the university programs going from how it was divided with North and South into everyone competing together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have to upskill yourself. <laughs> From, from, you know, the video analysis stepped up, um, you know, we're going to share each other's games video with the whole rest of the teams within 48 hours, so we're analysing the hell out of each other. Um, we've got to have medical operating standards, the whole thing around concussions, big, and managing uh, the dual career element of, of students. You know, we, we, we travelled to Newcastle, which... Uh, and stay overnight so there's two days out of a student's life you know life rather than you know we're traveling as far as Swansea or Exeter in the past which was a couple of hours now we're you know seven hours um either way um and it's televised you know it's been live streamed um as well uh there's always show, you know, each each team has probably a showpiece game each year. So, um, for instance, we played um, Cardiff last year. Bath Recreation Ground had six and a half thousand watching that, which is a big crowd for our level of rugby. Um, but we're not the only, you know, um, Cardiff Met play Cardiff at the it, 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 Cardiff Rugby. They've got they get five thousand there at those. Exeter played Durham and got five thousand there. Um, it's live streamed uh, on UniLad and uh, Lad Bible and, and Facebook, and you know we're getting up into over the weeks we're getting you know, tens of thousands of people watching it, so it's becoming a bigger product um, and, and recognised a lot more, as I say, through other rugby circles. Do you think it's filled a void in terms of being like a pathway for people, for players going from academies into professional games, or is it just kind of an addition to what was already there? Both, mate. Um, you know, we, you know, give you an instance of our Bath Rugby partnership is we we've always had academy players at Bath Uni, but their priority has been more their their playing priority has probably been more swayed to Bath second team or even other teams linked to Bath. Um, this level of rugby is, is, is meant that, you know, uh, 
in the professional way it's either coached and managed means that we're getting a lot of um, academy players or the academies are quite happy for them to play the majority of their rugby with with us. Now, we're not only Bath, we've got guys from Bristol, Worcester, um, guys from London Irish, etc. So, you know, it's, it's developed relationships um, around that. And it's going to be quite an interesting, it's probably another conversation in itself, that a lot of the academy guys are wanting to come to university now. They're seeing that that opportunity to play that level of rugby and get more games. So it, it's really boosted things up um, in a lot of ways. So in terms of recruitment of players and stuff, has that kind of made it easier from where you were maybe four or five years ago um, in terms of the players you're trying to recruit in and their willingness to come? Uh, both. Yes and no. It's meant that a lot of really good school and college players are coming looking for Bucks Super League universities. So we've probably got a bigger bigger catchment wanting to come because we're one of the 10. Um <laughs> But it's got a hell of a competitive within the 10. Um, some universities have got, and it's been reported, of upward of over £200,000 worth of scholarships. And some have got none. Uh, some have got uh, sort of seeing it as quite their, their, their main sport. So there's a bit of, um, how should I put it, um, flex on grades <laughs> uh, and we're probably seeing a, a, a number of universities um, sort of bending some of the rules as around you know how they how they operate and allow uh, you know offers in there um, and then there's a range of you know we're a highly academic university and, and, and well we should be and that's you know that's our strength um, but to get a you know, a, a, it makes it difficult to get those three C's or A-level students in that are really good rugby players at some stages into courses. Um, and we're not the only one. But then, you know, probably a frustration is, is a few of our competitors are sort of saying, you know, uh, a grade entry is, is uh, three A's and they'll allow them in for if you get three B's. Yeah. So, in, in um, sorry, carry on. It, it sways people's decisions. And then, how do you have? How's what's the challenge like for you guys in terms of filling out a fifteen or obviously like a largest playing squad? Your selection in terms of position specific compared to grades they've achieved compared to talent level. How do you manage that during the recruitment process? That it's it's a hell of a difficult for a number of reasons. A because of our sport and injuries and the amount of positions. It, as they as they say, rugby rugby's for all sizes. It's for the twenty two stone guy and it's for the <laughs> it's for the um, nine stone guy. Yeah. Um, from you know six foot seven to you know five foot five, um, and from all you know different 
forms of athleticism because you've got your front row, which is very specialist, and, and you know you need to be at our level probably 100 kgs and quite strong and powerful, but also technically they're good not to get injured in that area. Um, to a second row that's got to be, you know, you need to be probably um, 6'3". Uh, and then your other, you know, different athleticisms around your other positions. But I'll give you an example. You know, then you've got, um, so you've got, then your injuries, because it's a highly physical contact sport. Um, you'll get a range of injuries from concussions, head, head injuries. Uh, to, you know, shoulder dislocations, to, you know, the knees, um, uh, just muscle, strong muscle injuries um, and breaks, uh, quite regular in, in that. Um, you know, we probably call three ambulances a year <laughs> to, to our fixtures on average, um, sadly. You know, I don't want to put people off, but, and then we've got the balance of um, just being students and, you know, availability around um, their, you know, their coursework because some are doing aerospace engineering to sports performance to sports and exercise science to accounting to economics to um, mechanical engineering and they've got different architecture, you know, so some are not available because of those. Um, our first team in the first nine games used 48 players. So managing all that and then illness and illness as well or, you know, and other things going on um, and personal things sort of balance it up. So um, it's a challenge. That's our biggest challenge is, is selection and availability and, and, and things. Um, I won't go on too much, but, you know, we, we can't put a side out unless we have got uh, six front row players that have got the ability to play front row in a scrum. We can't select a full 22 uh, and, 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 and unless we've got those players. So they sort of lead selection. Um, we've got... Uh, sorry, and so 22, we're allowed 23 in our playing day squad. Um, and which is interesting, it'd be interesting to discuss around football. We have um, 12 rolling substitutions, replacements. Okay. So out of that eight, we can put four back on again. So we can use the whole eight on the bench. And we can use four that have come off again at some stage. So that becomes quite a a tactical, technical challenge yeah. <laughs> that we have done. So in terms of like, obviously when you're looking to get players in, you're mentioning kind of the need for front rows and props and hookers and whatnot. Will you just try and get as many in as you can? Or will you go, you know, we've got third years who are leaving in these positions, these are the ones we need to try and fill. Yeah. Well, we go for a dirty dozen props a year, we call it. <laughs> we try and recruit that, the dirty dozen. Yeah. Um, a bit of fun around it. Look, if we've got front rowers, we can play people. It, it, 
you know, I'll give you an analogy. It's it's not ideal, but you could play a centre midfielder on the left wing. Yeah. You know, you can get by and get a game going. You know, all the other positions you can get going, unless it's front row. You know, we can put a side out. So we go for those. Yeah, and it's a balancing act. We've also got placement students. So you've got guys graduating and then you've got second years. They're going to go on a year's placement. Um, so you'll lose, you'll lose, um, you know, say out of a squad, I said a 75. Uh, probably 15 or 20 of those are going to graduate and another 15, uh, between 10 and 15, are going to go on placement. But then you've also got 10 or 15 coming back from placement. And then you've got to build up from your first years and then look at your new recruits. So it's, it's a balancing act. And then because there's a balance about targeting and, and you may get what you can, you know, it's all of a sudden you need three goalkeepers, say. All of a sudden six could land on your door that are really good and have come from really good schools and colleges. Yeah. So what are we going to do there? <laughs> um, or you may have two and you needed three. Um, or you may have one and you needed three. Um, and so you may have to convert some, etc. So it's a, it's a bit of a balance. Um, for instance, I've got one position that I've got. Uh, I'm going to have one position that uh, next year, which I'll have six guys um, that have all over the last three years played international under 18. Okay. Yeah. So I've got to have a conversation with a few of those to say, you know, what position will you also cover? Hmm. So, but, sorry. No, so I was just going to say, how how does that like affect kind of your your strategies within games? Um, obviously, depending on on what you're getting through the door, if you're getting like a really talented pack. Or you're getting, you know, a really good nine and ten coming in. Does that affect kind of the philosophy and style of play that you have, or are you try? Are you pretty consistent with that? Yeah, it, it, it does, righty. We, we it, because they're quite specialist positions. And for instance, uh, at this time last year, I had six. Uh, I, sorry, I had four really good hookers, and by the time I come to preseason, I didn't have any. You know, they throw into the line-out, and we had to use your guys from lower down. Now, they, they fitted in really well. We lost a few to injury, so we're getting right down into our effectively guys that had played third, third and fourth and fifteen the years before. Um, and, you know, fair play to them. They totally stepped up to the mark, but we had to adapt because they were at a different skill level. So we had to adapt some of our set plays and... So what we had planned to do, um, we, had to, we had to change. We had, uh, yeah, you, you, you have to adapt some of your set-piece stuff um, to, to do that. Um, and, and what we're trying to encourage guys to do, A, because it's going to put them in a better place when they do leave the university, but also it gives us flexibility in them and more opportunities to play is have, be able to play in a minimum of two positions. Maybe three would be ideal. Um, and, you know, I guess Eddie Jones is now talking about, is, is, 
the, like the hybrid players and put it into a football analogy, the guy that can play left wing, you know, and on the right wing and maybe striker or can also, you know, is, is equally good at striking or in defence. Yeah. <laughs> you so, know, and I don't know if you have those, but um, they're, those sort of type of players are going to become gold now. So how would you help individuals do that? Obviously, you you might get, for example, um, a fly half who has only ever played fly half, was the best team throughout school and college, so played there all the time. And then obviously you might be challenging him to go, actually, we want you to play inside centre and possibly full back. How would you go around helping him kind of develop those skills necessary to play in different positions? There's a... There's a combination of a bit of self-awareness from them as they see the competition um, and see an opportunity. Um, really a bit of a one-on-one conversation and go, look, you know, we see an opportunity for you here. You know, um, we think you've got the skill set and we'll help you with the skill set. You know, we'll work with you with extra skills. We'll put you in, you know, just... You have feedback conversations, those one-on-one coaching situations, really. Um, get guys around them, players to help them uh, that have some experience, that, you know, leaders, depending on with the, you know, what age they are. Um, yeah, just sort of being a real sort of uh, critical friend with them. Um, and having that discussion, you know, they've got to want to do it. There's got to be some self-motivation for it. Um, and you know, backed up with a bit of coach and peer motivation. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, on, on a rugby pitch, there's kind of a lot going on, um, lots of different moving parts. I guess you, you do have leaders kind of in your in your pack, if you like, and then you fly off, etc. Talk to your your, your backs, etc. How do you go about getting those people to step up and into more senior leadership roles? Um, and is it something that you can see kind of first year that you're around them going actually in a couple of years time they're going to flourish into that or is that something you feel like you can mentor someone into that type of position again both really um we're trying to you know encourage leadership right around um but also you know, what we need to do a wee bit more is what is leadership? But, you know, how does it look and feel and operate? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've got the the, the, the screamer <laughs> who's, you know, third year who run around and he thinks of leadership's telling everyone what to do, when and how <laughs> to his way to someone that's nice, cool, calm and collected and has a nicer conversations. It's a real good communicator, real... Um, you know, short and sharp and to the point. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to encourage leadership right across. But again, we want to spend a week. I think we need to spend a wee bit more time on how it looks and for those individuals, um, how they see leadership is um, in there. Um, you have your natural, you know, like everything, you have your natural ones that sort of rise to the top that are quite highly respected by their mates. Um, but then also looking at, you know, just a process of it um, and, and, you know, 
if if you are going to show some leadership and through communication, when and how is the best time to do that? Either in game or when you've got those stoppages, which we have quite a lot of for you know set piece, the game stops quite a lot, probably thirty or forty times a game. Um, you know, for half time situations where they're leading or the feedback to coaches and etc. So we, we 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 use a bit of um, leadership. We use you know uh, James Landon a bit of on psych stuff. Um, but it's something we're sort of evolving and, and, and probably need to keep working harder on. Uh, we have a leadership group that talk to the coaches and feedback to us. You know, I know that's pretty standard now in our sort of sport. Um, but you sort of get a feel back and we can sort of start to pitch some of more, be a bit more player-centred with it. What does that look like in terms of feedback? Have you said they'll meet with the coaches and stuff? How are they decided and how often would they meet back to you and what type of things would you discuss in those meetings? We try and do it every week. Um, and we'd like to do it more formally, um, but it ends up being informally. We'll catch them after training on a Saturday and say, look, you know, how's it going, guys? Have you got anything to, to feed back to us and, and discuss and vice versa? So... Um, they may sort of feedback on, you know, load, um, that they're feeling knackered or trainings are maybe a bit long or um, they'd like to do a wee bit more on defence or, you know, but it could be cultural, behavioural communication, guys not turning up on time. Um, it could be, you know, some travel arrangements. Um, it could be something around S&C. Or it could be, you know, time around, you know, their, their workloads are increasing. Could we wind things down a wee bit? Um, could we look at trading on a 3G pitch instead of a muddy grass for a change, you know? <laughs> so it's those sort of conversations. And then we may have some feedback as coaches as far as, you know, coming focused or, you know, we see the focus dropping off or... Um, you know, the intensity or, you know, uh, timeliness or punctuality um, to, you know, we need to step up on guys returning and picking up kit. You know, it's just some operational stuff they are all involved with. So it's quite fluid. Um, and then we'll have sort of key sort of review times at the start, more in pre-season, but sort of mid-term and at the end of the year. So... You know, I'll be asking the leaders group now to sort of fill in a questionnaire about how the season's gone and their feedback to it. And how how have they been receptive or how receptive have they been, kind of the comments you've made to them, to them feedback to the group? Has that been quite a good dialogue to have rather than having it with the entire 75 or whoever's there? Yeah, I, I, I think so. It, it helps coming from your mates sometimes. You know, and those guys, you know, and drumming them up, going, that's, we need to do this, <laughs> yeah. rather than you need to do that from me. Um, I try and keep it as, as we need to be on time and use that sort of, um, you know, we instead of I, um, a bit, because I think that's important in coaching. But sometimes you just got to, it's, 
use the whole scale really uh, righty. You know, sometimes I've got to, I've just got to drill into them. You know, I've got to kick, kick the bottles around the bloody changing room, you know, sort of thing. And make it, you know, they need to, if it's not working, then they need to see how, how weak here or how important it is. And that's, you know, the old f***ing sometimes. But you can't have, you can't all the time. And you've probably got an issue if you are anyway. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's using that, you know, that, that whole thing of whether it comes from peers, comes from leaders, they share it. Um, they could, you know, get some small leaders themselves within it to work on something. You know, they they elect three or four guys in a, a, a range of the squad to attack, you know, or focus on something positive or something negative. Yeah. So I guess I've got two questions. The first one is, do you do any work, like individual development work? And if you do, what does that look like? So in terms of like skill acquisition stuff or gym sessions or anything like that. And then the second is do you have like a philosophy of playing or playing style that you believe in that you try and have all your teams look like? If I start with that one, um, uh, yes, you know, I, I, I'm very attacking and love to see when we can, you know, the mindset of, of just going to attack, um, and doing that in sort of strange, you know, if that's a weird way or whatever way of trying to score tries, but you know, um, you can have a defensive mindset where you, you you don't you don't run any, you know, you don't try and attack anywhere from your in your own half. You only only go out in their half. But I'm I'm a bit you you've got to back yourself, yeah, um, and back yourself big and go for it and and really. Um, rather than focus on what negative things, you know, you could give away the ball or turn it over and things is really focus on what stops you giving away the ball, you know, still keep that mindset. Um, so that, you know, I've got a very attacking philosophy. I've got a quite a player-centered, hopefully, philosophy. I like them. They've got quite a bit of input. But but to try things, you know, and express themselves. Um, and... You know, we're with a team of coaches. You know, that that can be a challenge because you know we've had it this year. You know, he's a good man of mine. He's in a very defensive. You know, he's in charge of defence, and you know, um, I'm in charge of attack. And there's a conflict there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it's the old, it's the old, um, you know, Kevin Keegan, isn't it? They're going to score score three goals, but we're going to score four. Oh, it's fine, yeah. Where he's like, I'd rather they didn't score any. Yeah, you know, and, that, and that's, you know, who, who's, <laughs> so you can see there's a point, right, Jesus, we're going to score five or whatever it is, you know, um, and, and they, that comes with them. But, yeah, let's score five and then score none, it would be a better day, but um, everyone would be happier. So, um, yeah, that, that that's a philosophy. We're going to get together and share those. Um, and that's probably something I've learned a wee bit more that we, you know, you get a coaching team in and they're, they're good guys and they you get on with them well, but yeah, some of your philosophies don't always align and that'll create conflict. And you've got to, you know, nail them down and you may have to agree to disagree. 
um, and get on with it. And or you may have to be open enough to try bits. You know, okay, we're going to be a bit more defense-minded. Right, show me and show me how this is going to work, you know, convince me. Yeah. You know, sell, sell it to me a bit better. <laughs> um, it's quite a challenge as a head coach uh, to do that because you want to empower your, your other coaches, but then also, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, in my journey, I've got, I've, you know, I've, I've been an assistant coach, haven't, haven't got to do how I wanted to play because I've been an assistant coach. Now I'm head coach. <laughs> Like a <laughs> <laughs> I'm in charge, you know, I can do 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 what I bloody say. And then, um again there's that that real coaching balance of you know, I want them to still work with me so because <laughs> they're good people, so I I've I've got to find a way of sharing those. But you know, one thing I've learned is need to spend time to sit down and nail that on because we've got a the, the most complicated game there is you know rules wise numbers of players you know um there's there's hardly any other sport that's that's got a, 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 a rule book a law book as big as ours <laughs> and uh you know Playing in a, a, a you know environment that's outside, which you know, like football has it has its has its challenges on all sorts of different pitches, in all sorts of areas. Um, with now a number of coaches um, and, and specialists, you know we'll, we'll carry three coaches, and they'll have specialist areas within that, not just attack and defence and goalkeeping. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's you know. Forwards, backs, attack, defence, set piece, breakdown. You know, you could have. You know, some 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 of the professionals have got five or six coaches to run. So that's philosophy. Why? So I'm digressing that as I do rabbiting on. Um, uh, my other philosophy, especially, is you're only as good as your second team. Um, you you, and we need to. Which leads me on to the one on one. Is is you know, like I said, we've got 23 in a squad, but we use 30, uh, at least 49 because of a number of issues. We probably wouldn't, in a good year, we'd want to, you're going to use 35 in a squad. So, you know, those guys are, who are your next ones? And the second, your second team need to be as equally important. Um, and you need, which is the hard thing, is keep them happy because you're going to need them. You're going to be calling on them at some stage. And you need them to be, you know, slotting in up to speed. It, it, it's, it's just ideally seamlessly, but it's not seamlessly. Um, one-to-ones, I love to do more. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to sit down and spend more time with them understanding and talking to the players. But if you gave 10, 10 minutes to each of them uh, every two months, 10 minutes times 75 players is, you know, you're, you're, you're a day a week yeah. just in conversations and finding that time. And, you know, as you probably know yourself, they're, they're, they're really good. You have a 10-minute conversations opens up <laughs> another 10 or 20 minutes of conversation and follow-up and feedback.
if I'm honest, it kills me. You know, you, 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 you sort of, it's so important, but you half do it right or not even half do it right. Um, so you have little informal conversations around it, on that. And, you know, I think I'm very passionate about developing players because that's the environment we're in and I want them to be in a better place. Um, but yeah, I, I need I need to find a way to do things. I, I've, you know, if I look back on this laptop, I've got twenty different feedback forms <laughs> and conversations that I've used that have been all pretty good. But you know, they all start off well and you don't follow them up well. I guess the difficulty for you guys, like you said, just the sheer number of players in football is a little bit easier if you've got a squad of twenty five ish. And you know we're fortunate. We generally have quite big coaching staff. It's easier. It's easier to manage and help them along the way with that. Whereas for you guys, you've got such big squads and such differing needs as well. You look at the differences between what your prop might need compared to what your nippy winger might need. They're completely different. So trying to check in with that. I guess the reason I asked those two questions is obviously you mentioned a little bit about giving the lads ownership of kind of a little bit their development but also leadership and stuff like that how do you frame that during games so how do you encourage them to take on more responsibilities in terms of your philosophy of play in terms of making sure you do play out and all that type of stuff we're trying to have little unit sort of areas um within units so if that makes sense so say the backs you have a back sort of leader, and he's in probably one of the key close run roles, whether he's scrum half or a fly half, which is nine or ten. Um, and they're more in their decision making roles anyway. Um, but you sort of try and give others, um, you know, you may have the outside centre say you're in charge of defence and leading up the defence bit. Um, you may have. Um, you know, you fall back and say, look, you're in charge of counter-attack because you see more. You see more of the space, you know, when that, when there's a transition of turning the ball over. Um, so you start to do that. And we're also trying to pitch it to, to help the conversation. So if I said, you know, you're right here, you're in charge of defence in the backs, um, is rather than me you know, rather than, you know, Joe Bloggs outside you have, as you should say, on defence, he, the process, if he's got something that he sees on defence, he, he, he brings that into you, yeah? Yeah. As the defence leader or, or, or mini leader, as it, as it is, sort of the second in charge. And then, so, you know, at times when you're having in-game conversations, um, they can feed into you for what they see. Um, and have some sort of accountability and responsibility, and then you could lead that to the rest of the, 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 the or you could, you know, have that conversation with a coach at half time, or, you know, some sort of messages that we run on and off anyway, you know, within game. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. Um, also in post game analysis. Righto, righty, you're on defence, you're leading it, pull some boys together to analyse how that defence went in that game. Yeah? And it may be down to you 
to lead that in, a, in, in, in um, if we have a review session or putting that out on a huddle system, or we may get to a stage where you're delegating. But it's down to you to delegate to somebody else to do that and give them a bit of ownership and responsibility. So we use sort of techniques like that. Um, we may change around and say, okay, right, you've, you've been good, but we'll give you a bit, you, you're an attack. Um, and why don't you lead that up and just mix it up a bit at different times in the season. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're trying to do that. And then, you know, we may go to you at halftime um, in the conversations. You know, you've got 30 seconds, try to give us what, you, you know, what the boys are saying or what do you see. Yeah. Is that what you've always done? Is, is, have you always worked like that? Not always. No, we're trying to work more efficiently and effectively with it and, and, and get that. We're still playing with some things. Um, we'll go, we'll try some new things. We'll go back to old things, depending on personnel. You know, we, we again, next year we may have well, I probably know I've got, I'm going to have a, 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 a top back line or have five or six really good leaders. It's great. Um, next, the year after, we may have two or one. You know, I, I don't know. And we may have to develop them. Some will need some development guidance and some won't. Some will be just, you know, I've got I've got a guy coming back from placement or two guys coming back from placement. They're just, just going to be spot on. You know, they're, they're just... I'll be asking them. <laughs> you know that they they can they, over to you, mate. You you, you coach the boys. You know, it's it's really really good. Um, he'd be on the phone to me saying this. He's really open, honest, trustworthy. Um, captures the the mood of the boys really well. I guess I guess that's a, a positive of having that environment where you can allow those people to pass on to like your first years, etc. That are coming into the program that might, as you say, upskill a few of those into a leadership role, but that looks right for them. So as you said, some are going to be screamers and shouters. Some might be quite quiet, quiet. Some might be an arm around the shoulder. But by having such a big host of five or six players that can do that you can probably buddy them up or group them up with other players that can learn those types of skills to keep that environment in place. Yeah, I think so. I, I think one of the things to first start is, is your culture as well in helping that. Um, they've got to feel comfortable in your environment and, and, and enjoy your environment. So, our, and I spend a lot of time as a sort of, uh, purpose and mission is for for players and staff to enjoy the experience of being better educated, better at rugby, and better people. That's our sort of the three B's, as we call it. Enjoy the experience of being the three B's. So better educated because they're at university, <laughs> got to get their degree. That's there's education through rugby, and you know, all whether it's playing or teamwork, etc. Better at rugby because that's what we're that's our sport and better people, the people skills. And you know, it's well used, but so all around the three B's and we have a, 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 a we have a culture um, hashtag BFO brothers for each other. We're the Bath brothers. 
and everything sort of leads into our culture, uh, brothers for each other, is, is everything we do collectively or individually affects each other. So positively or negatively. If, we, if we're late, it affects everybody. If we're unplanned as a coach, it affects everybody. If we're, if we're real good, positive people and, and, and it affects, it just becomes, you know, you, you got what I mean. So we use that quite regularly and I think everyone that does something really good um, or a, a good example of behavior, we, you know, put that on WhatsApp, hashtag BF, BFEO, you know, the brothers. Hmm. Um, it goes back to the previous question, how has it changed? When I first come in, we had, we had a high-performance rugby squad, an elite squad. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> And, and, and they're a first team, and everyone, you know, um, focus on the first team. And that was one of the first things that changed. We're going to have a second. We're going to have a big squad. So I opened it right up, and it causes some issues. So running, you know, that many players is, is not very focused. But um, we took away, and it took a while. We got rid of all the seniority, the old freshers, you know. You're a first year, so you're going to now take all the that um, I had three years ago. You know, you're going to get it worse. So we, we stop that. So, for instance, um, there's no seniority at all whilst rugby's happening. That's collecting the kit to dropping back the kit. Um, and we took that away. You can't take away all seniority in, 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 in schools or this university or even in a club system because you've it just is what it is, but you don't, you've taken away the shit end of it, likes of the bullying side of it. So we worked really hard on that, and that's been, eventually we got through a cycle <laughs> with those older guys who didn't feel um, bitter and twisted about what happened to them earlier, actually gone, actually this is the best way to be, I'm not going to bully any of those guys, so... Eventually, those first years came through to third years and go, I was really well looked after. As soon as I walked in that door at Bath University, I felt wanted. I was on the level of, I was on the same level as those third and fourth years. They looked after me, they cared for me, we had a beer for me, they asked how I was, they integrated me into the side, and now that's what I want to do. I want to do that to my next guys down. So... I'm rattling on here a bit, righty, but um, that's been massive. So that's helped our whole that whole sort of culture of togetherness um, has helped all the guys being leaders and stepping up to be leaders or wanting to be leaders. So five years ago, six years ago, who wants to be a leader? I'd almost have to bully them into being them. Now I've got loads. Can I be? Can I be? Can I be? Uh, I want to do this, so they've sorted themselves out. Tell us who your leadership group is, guys. Fine. Yeah. Is that a, um, is that a culture that you'd experience, which is why you wanted to put it in place, or is it just because you were changing with the time slightly? Yeah, but but all of that. Yeah, I I didn't. I wasn't comfortable with the way it was. I wasn't comfortable with the way they were operating or the way they were seen. Basically. When you dug down deep into it, our first 15 were seen as a bunch of 
So socially, you weren't going out for a beer uh, on a beer on a Wednesday night. You'd have your first team in one pub and the rest of the club in another. What the hell's that about? You know, because and then you got to the stage where you know I'd have second or third team guys that I thought were decent enough. Come on, you know, you're going to play for the first team. No, I'm not. I don't want to play for them. Jesus. Yeah. Um, now. Now, you, you go and ask a fresher, they go to the Cannon Pub and Bath, you go and ask a fresher, you know, he's a plan for the fifth team, what's your experience like? Oh, I cannot, it's no good being down there. I was talking to a first team guy. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, no, it's not. <laughs> and he was looking at, he brought me a beer or, or, or whatever. So, um, I, I, my philosophy is that, that that's... It's crucial. Ideally, is your culture of how you operate and, and how you look after and deal with each other um, in, a, in a big environment and a big group of guys. Um, to the extent now that they self-police as best we can each other. So, if someone does something stupid, the the guys come down on them pretty hard because they've affected the, the reputation of the rest of them. Um, that's, and you all know what university sport, we've, we've had our, we, rugby has its challenges in, it, in itself, and we've still had some just, just lately, but. Uh, yeah, uh, I think, obviously, as you said, the culture changed from no one wanting to do it, uh, wanting to be a leader, so everyone wanting to do it is huge, and it's only going to help those kind of in the, in the system, I guess. Do you think that's tied into it being more professional in terms of you linking in with Bath Academy and stuff and having the Super League? Or do you think it's just the work that you've put in place to say, actually, no, this is what I want this environment to look like? Uh, it's um, it's the work that we, that we put in ourselves. You know, we, we, whatever happens is we've got to have our own identity and our own culture as Bath University uh, rugby. Yeah, we, we've... There's still things we're going to do around some of the social behaviour and you know way we operate. You know. the, the the good thing is is all the you know all the rugby players or a lot of the rugby players now can walk around the university and say hi and talk to each other a lot right down throughout the teams. The downside out of that is the, <laughs> the more big, massive. Uh, boisterous guys get on with each other they more they congregate so we've now got an issue around well there's big groups of rugby guys hanging around everywhere we can't you know they're just and of course they're laughing and joking and screaming and you know things like that so we've now <laughs> now got a cultural issue around that about how how well they get on and big groups there and so hey that's we can live with that yeah. um I think anyone that comes in has got to buy into to to your, your environment culture, whether that's Southampton or uh, university. It, it's hell of important. It's maybe you're bringing some good stuff from your other environments. Well, that's good, but you don't bring you don't bring knowledge. Yeah, I guess people will be able to hear and. Uh, everyone know you kind of got a, a bit of a kiwi twang if you like um in terms of your experiences and culturally over there in terms of what rugby's like and 
obviously the epitome of that is kind of the All Blacks and stuff. Would you say that that's mirrored to what it's like here in, in that work and wanting everyone to strive to be the best? Yeah, there's a lot of comes from my my upbringing in, in, in that, and it's, it's just different in New Zealand. You know, rugby's a sport. It's like football in this country. You know, it's the main sport. You know, everybody, the, the passion you get of uh, a Southampton fan home and away has gone to everybody game and is, can't see past, can't see past Southampton club. Yeah. <laughs> um, the rival between Southampton and Portsmouth, you know, the same sort of thing happens in New Zealand and rugby, but passion is similar to the, to the, to the football passion there is here. Um, you know, from the little country town as everyone's involved in that club. You know, it's mostly that rugby club and there's a squash club and a tennis club and a swimming club. Um, but most are involved in rugby and uh yeah, some of those cultural things around how people operate and get together, you know, is is big. Um yeah, and that's driven some of my things. Uh but I've learnt, you know, I've been half my life in the UK, so I've got a lot of my stuff across from what I've learned in England and other sports, um, etc., as, as, as well as that 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 New Zealand um, roots. But my passion and drive, I guess, comes a lot from you know my, my upbringing in New Zealand, um, my self motivation and. The resourcefulness, you know, they haven't got a lot of resourceful resources, but they're they haven't got a lot of resources, but they're resourceful. Um, over there, they the, the way we all had to pitch in. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing. They've all read that um, legacy. You know, a lot of people read that all back legacy book. Yeah. You know, it's become a about way they do and you know the all you know the one of the biggest things that's resonated if you asked if you ask many sports is what's the biggest thing that comes out of that book they'll say well the all blacks sweep the sheds and people are still going on about wow you know you've got a, a the, the best team in the world and they pick up the brooms and sweep the sheds that was really weird to me why is why is that so amazing? You know, as, as a that sort of says something about English sporting culture that that's amazing. Meaning, well, we don't do that. <laughs> you know, ugh, we 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 don't pick up our rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Why? So that is a Kiwi is what I've found incredibly the way people have picked up on that. That was embedded in us you know I remember even helping my father and uh, you know when, when he played rugby we was helping him with the brooms we all there was, there was three or four brooms in those changing rooms 40 years ago um, we all did this we all picked up the kit we all went and asked what we could do when the clubhouse was um they close, you know, last orders at the bar. We all went round and got our glasses, and could we wash them? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's you know? the, the, you know, the the to a degree with the top and the humbleness of it to uh, 
want to do that. Whereas I think in England, a little bit, they go, well, that's someone's job. I think that's probably the differences from my experiences of what that's like. Whereas from my understanding, again, I've read the book, it's, it's them going, well, no, this is part of our identity is you leave it in a better place than you found it. Like they said with the shirts and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's interesting you said there that's something that's embedded into kind of New Zealand culture in terms of all sports clubs do that and you're all expected to chip in and whatnot. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. And, and, and yeah, it's something, you know, I, st- I still find it. We've still got players go, well, you know, I, I, I did it last week, so it must be somebody else's turn. You know, and, and it's, you know, it's through society a wee bit, isn't it? You know, we, you know, people say New Zealand's a beautiful country. Okay, it's because people don't chuck rubbish out the cars. You know, that, that's that's basically why it's. Um, you know, we've grown up with that. Is why would you? <laughs> why would you leave something? Why would you leave something on a? You know, I remember coming over to a pub here and I grabbed all the glasses and took them up. And, you know, almost looked as if I was an idiot. It, it, it doing that. It, it's just um, we we were. If you if you, <laughs> I remember as a kid, if we saw someone throwing a chip wrapper out of a or an ice cream wrapper out of the car in front of you, you would take his number plate and tell the police. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's those sort of things that identified grew up up with you and um you know now i'm going to run around and make sure that we've cleaned the bus out when we get off you know <laughs> and, and things like that so those are the things we're trying to change and um they're just important really it's just important way of working in, in our whole product and the way we've seen we need the bus driver um we need the groundsman equally to see that we're a good bunch of blokes and people you know and and that's uh that's a true true test i think if everyone does a does a little bit like an extra 0.5 percent that's a lot extra overall and um which i think it doesn't take a lot like you said to go and take some glasses up or just to pick a couple of bottles up or something like that um so yeah, I, I agree with you on that. How do you feel? Obviously, from a bit of my research, you were at Southland. Is that right? As a kid, yeah. How how did you find that in terms of your, I guess, sport and education? You obviously mentioned a little bit in terms of your kind of cultural and social education there. In terms of Southland uh, Rugby Club, how was that for you, and what kind of lessons did that teach you? It's a bit different. I'll give you the analogy wasn't my club it was my province if you so it's almost it works like almost the county system okay. is here so southland was effectively um somerset county okay um or so say so that no it's probably region southwest region yeah which can they you know combines quite a lot together yeah yeah, so I played for a club which was old boys, my high school old boys, which then I got selected into a, a provincial um, representative side, which was Southland. And Southland played, you know, effectively the Southwest played the Northwest, 
London and South East effectively, if you if you take it like that. Um, and um, yeah, so we played in a in a, a sort of interprovincial, inter interregional sort of league throughout New Zealand, um, and they had first division. So. Um, they played, Southland played about 12 games a year, and then you got to get to play some international teams like you could have France, full France team, or I was lucky enough to play against the British Lions when they toured because I was part of Southland's always on their itinerary um, when they come. Um, yeah, it formed, it was good because it formed, it, you got to go on tour, righty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to stay away and and enjoy the social parts. You know, you went up to places like Auckland, which and and so forth, and you played rugby, and then you know you got on the booze and had a great time, and the whole travel and the camaraderie and the friend, you know, joining, you know, making friends from other clubs that you, you know. Thought he was a bit of a <laughs> when you played against him. There's actually not a bad bloke, you know. <laughs> and you ended up being mates, and you know, you, you for life. So you know, that that's what I learned. I, I learned about the whole, you know, mixture and social elements that just you know drove you, and and, and being on a tour, and you know, all the benefits of that, and um, which you know don't always you know you don't always have in sport now, or you know especially in club rugby, you don't get to go on a tour and stay away and have a night out with the lads and somewhere different and um, those sort of aspects. So I guess what I learned is, is is linking up with other people, you know, from other clubs and, and, and enjoying that sort of thing and making friendships and that. And in terms of, I guess, if you, you want to link this back to your old boys clubs as well, did, do you think that what you were taught from younger ages, kind of all the way through, has affected the way that you see rugby now, either positive or negative? Yeah, you know, I, I go back to I learnt just the whole aspect of commitment um, and being committed to the whole club. You know, you don't. You know, it was old. It was over twenty, thirty years ago, mate. Um, you know, you stuck with your club. Uh, you know, as I say, you pitched in. Um, you turned up to training as an amateur. Um, you respected what everyone else was doing for you to put you out on a, you know, to clean your shirts to get you out there, and and you know, it, it was different because it was a, such a social hub. Um, you know, a wee bit like, you know, it, and that's what the challenges with football and rugby now is it's, as people, as, as life's changing in, in the UK, is they're not so much social hubs anymore. You know, they're a place to turn up, play, have a, have a quick drink in the sandwich afterwards and, and hit the road, isn't it? Um, but, you yeah, know, it was different then. You know, my country club, when I first grew up, Sadly, drink driving wasn't an issue. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, you know, I learned that. I learned, you know, 
we we played on a Saturday, got got on the booze on a Saturday night, and then sorry, what? So going back to what was what what was probably a, a recommend they probably do a wee bit better here is everything was as a Saturday, so there was no generally no Sunday sport. Sunday was off. Um, so your minis, your under 11s, your under 12s, your uh, under 21s, your under 16s, all played on Saturday. They started off at 9 o'clock in the morning, and you as seniors, as we're called, played at 3. So you'd have a whole club, and some of them would stay on for that. Um, or if your minis and, and juniors have been away, you all played away together and they all went to that same club. We were like football does quite well in the age groups. You all shoved in a couple of buses and you all ended up back at your clubhouse. This is and a real social side to it. Till the seniors played. Yeah. And your mum and dad were there and you stayed on and that was Saturday. Um, so I learned that whole, it, it brought the whole club together, you know, because you had... You know, you still had your, your under 10s running around playing on the other pitch. <laughs> you know, their second or third game of rugby for the day <laughs> at 3 o'clock. Um, and when the floodlights were still on, or now the floodlights, they were still having a kicking over the posts at 7 o'clock at night waiting for mum and dad to finish up in the bar. So um, I learned a lot of this whole social cohesion and what it means to be in a club. I guess this links back quite well to what, what obviously what you're doing with the uni side at the moment is almost that togetherness, that culture of we're this club and we represent ourselves in, in this way and, you know, but we do it together and that togetherness, there's quite a clear crossover between that. Yeah, no, 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 and, and I'd say we're probably 60% there where we can be is um, and you know probably this coronavirus thing has probably brought people together in different ways and, and, and you know it's going to be interesting now that we haven't been together we actually how we view and respect the value of being together a lot more and, and what that meant you know now that we haven't got it yeah. or may not have it for a few months um you know, I'll give you an example. Is a rugby club had got together and raised money for the NHS doing certain things. Well, they've raised 10 grand. And they've done it with the girls from Touch Rugby. And I look on and see who that is. Well, you know, I, I, you just recognise some faces and names of some girls and guys that have been right throughout the club that have a part of that 410, you know. Um, and that's hell of a powerful, and it says a hell of a lot that they've been able to do that and create something positive. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it's it just binds you together. And I think, I think as a product, it, it should be a vacuum, righty. You know, people, a love being in it. You know, it, it, that's that's the ultimate. I I love being in this rugby club. I, you know, whatever that is, whether it's playing and being part of it, and hopefully that becomes infectious. That they're going out and people are talking about that. That's that's my philosophy. People are talking about how good it is from an outside, whether it's a bus driver, the groundsman, 
the people in it, the girlfriends and boyfriends, the lecturers at the university, and then the brothers and sisters and the other people in the other schools will hopefully want to come and be part of that. And that'll help my recruitment and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. It's, that, that, that's, that's my philosophy. It becomes infectious, uh, an infectious product for the good. Yeah, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like, as you said, you're, you're definitely along the right track. Um, I guess the question for me then is, how did you find it and why did you move across? So when you left New Zealand, why, why, did, you, why did you leave and how did you find it? Because I imagine it was a different-ish culture at that time coming to England, etc. I was an amateur rugby player in New Zealand that played provincial for South, you know, as I said, for Southland. Um, and was doing reasonably well, you know, well. I was in my early 20s. Um, I I was in the um, I was in the meat business. I, I exported New Zealand lamb to the UK, and I was an account manager exporting New Zealand lamb containers of the stuff frozen and chilled to the UK. We had an office in London, and I got transferred for uh, eighteen months as a secondment to work and understand trading and selling to land to, to British supermarkets. So I was an account manager, sales account manager in London. And I, I, um, a mate that was working in the same office as a Kiwi guy as well was playing at WASS in the social side. And within three days of me arriving, he said, look, come and I'll introduce you to some boys. And I ended up taking my boots and playing. I played for WASS and we had a Great year. So I played, even though I was playing a high level, I I, um, I played social for for WAS basically their fifteen, because um, I wasn't going to be here for long, and so I was out rabbiting on about my journey. But um, I, I without blowing us, I was a bit better than being a social rugby player. And I got sort of they sort of identified that and asked me to have a game for the second team. And then by the end of the season, they had a friendly game for their first team and, and it went on from there. I was in their first team from then on. Uh, and then it transitioned two years later. Rugby went professional. Um, and it was actually at WAS where the guys went professional. They walked out of the chair, a guy Rob Andrew and a couple of others, got brought up by Sir John Hallett, who owned Newcastle Football Club and bought Newcastle Falcons. And basically, he said, bugger this, brought five players, paid them a lot of money, and <laughs> went mad. So I was still working as an account manager, being a semi-professional rugby player, on some pretty serious money, to be fair, for to say I was a professional rugby player, I was. Uh, I don't know how the hell they paid us that much, considering, you know, we're Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday playing rugby on the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then evolved over the next year, went professional as in professionally run. <laughs> um, so that was the journey. So that's how I found it different. Um, Wasp was a, was a club that, 
uh, had some really good values and still, you know, still have. They, it was a good sort of like a family club. Um, and they they carried a lot of the values I thought that, that had New Zealand, you know, and that's why I enjoyed it there. They all stuck together. Um, they had a club that would sort of bring, welcome outsiders in really easily and then built up through their academy really well and, and have, have a good history with that as well still. Um, and the rest is history, really. Um, yeah, so that was sort of, I had to explain my journey with their writing to, to, to where I just sort of got to. No, no. As I said, it's, it's interesting to know. So you can imagine that that's obviously a quick uprising. I'd imagine at that point you probably played with, or trained with, or whatever some some good players. I'd imagine it because Wasps around that time had some had some well England international, future England internationals, and whatnot there. Um, how did you, how did you find that being around those types of characters? Um. I was a bit scared, really. I, I sort of, uh, what's the word? A bit of imposter syndrome. <laughs> so, you know, my first game was outside Rob Andrew, who played how many games has he played for England, you know? Um, and some guy, Lawrence Delalio, um, was coming through at the time. And, yeah, you know, dropping names. But, yeah, I was fortunate to play with a lot of, sort of guys that went on play for England. Um, but also I was an old hat at some of the young guys that are coming through, you know, in the academy and some are through. So, you know, I, I, I captained, it was sort of one of those ones where I could see the writing on the wall. I was getting a bit of an older player and um, I wasn't going to, I didn't want to be a full-time professional because I, I was getting near the end of my career. Um, so I, I, I was sort of a, I, I was a, the second team captain. So I had a bit of a leadership role bringing some of the, I was asked to help bring some of the young guys through with my experience and things. So, but also was also going to, you know, had the opportunity to play first team. I, I, I did on occasion, but I was the second strength because they brought in, They'd, they'd brought in a guy, Vyanga Tugamala, who uh, basically had just it was an all-black and then played for Wigan. Um, was a star in rugby league. And then they brought him in and a few other decent rugby players, guy Rob Henderson from Ireland and so on, so on. So um, I, I also got to, you know, as I say, got to be a bit of a leader and captain. And then I transitioned into coaching straight afterwards when I left. I went back to Wasps and coached their under-19s and under-21s for a couple of years before moving to Bath. So um, that, that set me in good stead. So when, when you're around kind of those players, obviously you're, from what you've said there, experience in terms of your rugby and you've played a lot and you've been a lot in a lot of leadership roles. When you were around those players that went on to have really good careers or were in the midst of a very good career, were there, was there a common thread for those players that stood out to say that's how you get to the very top or these are the kind of expectations you need or the drive you need in order to get to the very top level? Look, my, my philosophy and, and what I learned through either playing or, um, or uh, 
uh, coaching and the, the, the players that I've played with and the players that I've coached that have got to the top, that what I've learned is they have, they hold one sort of quality um, that, that sort of um, is common to them all, and that's their self drive, their self their self motivation to, to to get there. And um, if you haven't got that, you don't get there. You know, we're, that, that that's what I, I believe. So. I had a range of guys. So when I got there, there was a, a guy, Dean Ryan, who's um, now head of uh, Dragons, the coach Worcester in Bristol and uh, played for England. <laughs> he's a bloody good bloke, but he's brutal. You know, he, he's, and, and, and people will tell you that. And, and I'm not, he's, he's a good bloke, Dean. And he, they have a beer with him, that, you know, if maybe I, I walked in late, he had me up against the wall. I mean, <laughs> and I remember a guy that ended up being an England captain sort of convincing him to drag me down off the wall, but I'd let the guys down. <laughs> now, that was leadership in a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, later stages, Lawrence Zalalio took on as a young coach and Hell of a passionate guy, heart in the sleeve, lead by example. You know, learned a lot off him. Um, you know, as of you know, that, that was the main main ones that was sort of there at, the, at my sort of playing career. But um, you know, the, you know, in the UK they had a strong influence, but lead by example, um, and just the qualities of, of your commitment and work, you know, the hard work element um, is stuck with my leadership. And I guess, like you said, that self-drive, particularly with the age group you're working with now, I guess is probably pretty prevalent in terms of they're away from home for the first time for most of them. And those that want to progress and get through that system kind of are going to have to be driven they're going to be the ones who are going to stay out and do the extra bits compared to the others that maybe will do what the session is but then they want to go and explore the other side of university which is equally as fine but it depends what I guess their goals are etc yeah I think then you've got to add the self-management side of it right and I guess that may happen in, in the football you've got some great talented kids that have got that driven and you know, or sometimes the parents are driven. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they've got to add the self-management side to it, you know, managing their, 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 you know, lifestyles around balancing up rugby, um, their degree, their social life, their, you know, work life and things around that um, and balancing all that up and, some are really good at doing it and some need a bit of help. Um, some are never going to be, you know, and that's just life. And um, sometimes, you know, at air level, you've got to put up with a whole lot of them. Um, you've got to try and, you know, some some of them you've got to sort of bring down off the ceiling a wee bit. Some of them are so self-driven they become unrealistic and frustrated. You've got to bring a realism to it. 
and a patience to it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be a perfect, you know, um, a laughter guy, captain who's now, he's made it. Tom Doughty, who's, who's you know, I've spent a lot of time with Tom as their captain last year. He got a contract with Bath Academy and has just re-signed again with them. Hell of a self-driven, hugely self-motivated. The number of times he pissed the hell out of me, the number of times I told him to off time you know when are you going to tell when are you going to tell bath they need to contract me Aaron? you know <laughs> we laugh we still laugh about that i will tom when you're ready you know um to you know sadly i won't name names but you know i had to put up with three guys this year that if they weren't the position and it wasn't it wasn't because of other injuries and opportunity i, I you know I, probably be happy not to see them again in my life. <laughs> you know, there's a squad because they were just, you know, you talk about setting standards as, you know, some some guys that kills you are going to get on the phone and talk to somebody that's just hasn't turned up to a training, hasn't been committed, hasn't really focused in the gym. You've got to ring them up and say, need you to play on Wednesday, <laughs> you know, and it kills me, but um, it's that brothers for each other, you know, it, it's not about him, it was about the rest of them, sort of philosophy, I'm going to have to suck it up for him because otherwise, you know, the hole's bigger than the part. Yeah. Um. And I'll eventually get to a stage where I'll get so many decent players that we don't have to put up with them, you know, and, and have them involved and have their poor behaviours involved. That's the goal. So obviously I know that we mentioned briefly before that kind of you move slightly into coach development type stuff or that's something that you're, uh, you're exploring more and more. Obviously I'd imagine it kind of links in well to those coaching scenarios where people are acting in their certain way and as a coach developer you have to kind of maybe guide them down certain paths without explicitly telling them do you just want to kind of talk through your transition into the coach development side and, and how you found it and maybe some of the lessons that you've learned whilst you've been doing it um i've transitioned into it because i um there was a sort of a want and a need you know i i uh i wanted to a few years ago, I needed to sort of um, keep the money up in coaching like we always do. Sometimes you have probably a bit like yourself is you end up having <laughs> sometimes you have three or four coaching jobs to try and get to one, <laughs> ideally, and that's in your transition. And I, I wanted to, I finished my level four um, coaching award and I wanted to, you know, they, what they asked for sort of people to help mentor in it and because I enjoyed it and I was part of still being involved, I got involved with being that mentor and with not being a hell of a trained. And I got to mentor two or three really good coaches that are, you know, probably even in a higher level than me, you know, as far as work-wise. And I learned I, I, through that relationship, I got really good mates with them. Um and we share a lot, we still do now, you know, at times over officially, but I learned a hell of a lot off them and they, 
they say they learned a lot off me and and I, I really enjoyed it I, you know I got a real passion for it and also in my role at Bath University a lot of assistant coaches and probably one that you probably went through was Scott Hobson um, who fortunately got a serious rugby injury um, his career was over in the mid-20s and um, came to the university and did his foundation degree in thought and, and got into coaching and he became an assistant coach and won't go into it but I, I sort of on and off the field I we spent a lot of time together so I sort of ended up being a mentor, advisor, parent sort of guide you know I say it in a nice way because I got you know as your relationship with these guys got at all you get can get quite personal if your relationship and rapport gets quite good and you can get into some of the real personal sides of you know for both of us and you actually end up sharing it as mates you know like you do your best mates you know like that i've got problems with my girlfriend <laughs> situation you know um so uh, long long story i, I I've, I've got a real passion for it so and I, I've been pleased that he's gone on to some good things. He's now head of rugby at, at uh, Rhinestone's. Another guy, Adam Jameson, who I coached as a student, and he went down and been a professional rugby player outside of, of, of our environment, and then got another injury, and then he came back in and you know, and you know, gave him an opportunity with us to develop as a coach and supported him and and, and mentored him and helped his development and actually thought, well, I think I've, you know, I've got a passion about it and I seem to have done reasonably well with some of these guys and had some good feedback about it. So it's something I want to take on further. And um, I'm a 53-year-old coach that um, there's another Aaron James that's 30, 40 years old, but he wanted my job, you know, <laughs> rightly so. I wanted the person that was head of me's job. Um, and I'm near the end of my journey, and I need to look at what's what's next, you know. Um, my my journey as a coach is, you know, the curve's flattening off. Um, and, you know, I'm comfortable with that. You know, I've... I've coached in academies, coached in professional situations. I've coached England students in England, student sevens. So I've coached internationally. And, you know, I'm at a, a top 10 university in a really good environment. And, uh, you know, I, I can't, for personal reasons, a professional coaching job is too insecure for me to, to transfer my whole family and life to go and do. So, uh, you know, that's where I am. And um, so coach development is, a, is an up and grow, is an up and coming thing, still in its relatively early stages. And I, I just, I've got a passion for giving back or helping people. Um, I've got a passion for, you know, a lot of people that helped me uh, through my journey shared their experiences really well. And... Yeah, I just short of as I, th I think I can be really good at it. 
because I'm really self-driven and passionate to be good at it. And uh, yeah. Did it? Did it? When you went into the role early on, or when you were going through these experiences, did it challenge you about some of your beliefs or some of the things you? Uh, been doing before did it reaffirm all the work that you were doing both both it's sometimes it's good to go and that's a benefit of having and sharing and talking to other people is you know you have some ways of doing things that you have some self-doubts as well and i think that's natural as a coach um and it's good to just see other coaches, whether it's in your environment or the outside your environment, you go, ah, oh, yeah, you know, they, they think like that. Well, they've been thinking that all. They've got their they've got their insecurities just like me. You know, I look at them and go, Jesus, you know, he's big, you know, he's doing really well. He's really confident. Oh, Jesus, he's, he's shitting himself about something just the same as I do. Or he finds it a struggle on that. And, um, you know, <laughs> that that's encouraging i think um you learn a lot to see different things about how they do stuff or different philosophies or different ways of doing go oh, actually i'd adopt that you end up um you end up asking them what they think you know and all the questions and them opening up because it gives you quite a lot of food for thought um have you got any yeah, examples of that of, of things that you've seen and then you've gone actually I, I would use that or I really like that yeah I, I worked with a guy at Cornish Pirates and um, Gavin Cattle uh, he's a bloody good bloke um, but they live in you know they're in Penzance you know they're a professional rugby club in Penzance you know they're, their nearest game I think is is it Hartbury in Gloucester <laughs> okay <laughs> Not you know, close. Three and a half hours journey, you know. So they, they've got a great culture. Hey, I'll, I'll show you a photo of their gym one day. You know um, that they operate in. Um, your bedroom's bigger. You know, and the you know you talk about you know it's got mirrors around it, but I think one's not cracked. Um, you know they're doing. You know, they've got a closed down couple of squash courts and they do team meetings in those. Um, you know, <laughs> their training ground, you know, the, the, the park that you take your dog out to over the back of your, you know, council ground that's got dog shit all over, I think similar to their training ground, you know. Um, and they form such a really good culture and togetherness. Uh, around that sort of environment so you walk in and go basically Roddy, it's like a Sunday football bloody club <laughs> you walk in you know the old changing rooms are just like that they're cold and wet and, yeah. you know you don't know whether to walk into the showers or not what, gonna, what you're going to come out like um, you know you'll go in and have a a sit-down meal and something the carpet, something from the 50s. <laughs> and, you know, you open, somebody opens a hatch and there's a big bloody stainless steel pot of stew and, <laughs> you know, with paper plates on it, you know. It, it's... But they've got some really... They've, they've built such a really good culture and 
way of operating, and, and, and I learned a lot off them. Um, you know, they've got, you know, they've got a coach's office that's got four of them in that should have two. Um, you know, those sort of things, and, and um, just the way of learning and operating and adapting um, to just making the most of, you know, just small resources to get a high-performing team that, you know, out of it. Um, is, is, is really good, you know. You know, say that gym of, you know, they've got 35 players to put through. I think they can get five or six in their gym at one time. So how does that operate and getting people turned over really, really quickly? And how do you adapt to that? So, um, and how um, would they do that? What type of thing would they do to get that? Just structure and scheduling. Just and uber organized. Culture where people, yeah, where they just adapt. You know, the players adapt. You know, um, and make fun of it, enjoy it. <laughs> you know, there's there's so much, so much down there that you could grizzle at and go, what the, you know, what the hell am I doing here? But um, yeah, just. You, you need to see it, you know, to see and believing of it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, you know, uh, I, I don't know how I explain much, much different. Um, it, just adapting and, 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 and making use of very little resources and what you can get by on. And I guess from what you're saying, that it's kind of like a, us against the world type thing going we've got all of these things that aren't great but we'll do our best of them and we'll still go and show them that we've got a good rugby team and all that type of stuff yeah you know it's like you know righty is, is if you could design a meeting room for your, for your players you know what would you put in it you know you'd have a great sort of you'd have photos around the wall and you know you'd look at learning environments and you'd have your projectors and screens all you know high definition and everything run pretty slick and you know you'd probably have you know little cup holders and things on the desk you know, isn't it you know you, you know let's make a really good learning environment you know because someone would be criticizing that is this the best learning environment they've got a, a, a they've got their members lounge with a, a projector and a projector screen yeah you know, running running sports code off a laptop that they're sitting on a desk that doesn't even fit the bloody, you know, you've got two different desks for the projector and the, and the laptop. Yeah, they've that got is... to pull out the, they've got to lift out the chairs that the bridge club use. And it comes, you know, I guess it comes down to, afternoon, you know? it comes down to being driven. If you want to do it and you want to do it right, you'll find a way regardless of what challenges you face. Yeah, it, it is, and, and you know, we, we as we have more money, uh, or we have more money, is is what do you put it to? Is is we we have some, you know, we're creating some nice environments for student, uh, you know, for for our players, and we're you know the best kit and making things look all glossy, and you know the changing rooms are looking real. You know, we've got nice things up, we've got flags up, and you know, it looks really comfortable and nice. Do we need it? You know, this this makes you ask about what your priorities are, and 
it's going to be interesting again now after this goes where, I don't know about you guys, with big, big, big football clubs, but, you know, we're going to be on half a budget at the least. We're going to have to operate right on the bones of our bum. Um, so, you know, how are you going to keep a culture, an enjoyable culture going around on that? We're going to have to adapt. And it's probably, you know, there's a lot of people, and, and rightly so, fearing, you know, what are we going to do with half a budget that we had that was we didn't think was big enough anyway? Um, we're probably, uh, from what I've learned, I'm more comfortable with that. As I'm sitting here now, I'm, I'm sort of going, yeah, well, okay, we've got less balls and we're going to have to, that bag that I was going to throw out is going to last us for another year. Yeah. <laughs> Those shirts, we're going to have to go out with another, with that same set of shirts as we had last year and just get on with it. And um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have that water bottle crate that I was gonna throw out. <laughs> Give it a good scrub. Put some cable ties around it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And, and, and we'll get by. Yeah. And we'll, we'll we'll still have a good rugby program. Yeah, and that, in long sorry, term, sorry, it could be a positive. Rest. People make use of, of of what they've got better. I think everyone's done that, even in the most simple context of being better with food, where we're not able to go to the shop. You know, all the time, people are finding more inventive ways to use the food that they've got in the house, which long term will obviously have benefits for everyone. I'm sure in, in a club context, it'll be the same. You'll find ways to still keep an elite program with the with the a bit of facilities, etc. that you have. Yeah. So, so that's what's going on from coach development. You know, that's, that's you know, that... that I'm always keeping an open mind on things as well helps, but you know, I've just, I've, I probably, if I could have my time done, I've just done a learning some of the, the academic sides of, of coaching and mentoring and, and how people learn. And, you know, um, I don't, probably should have known that, but the, just, just, they talk about pedagogy, but and 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 um, you know how people need different times to reflect, how they unlearn, you know how they filter out their learning. Um, it's something I've probably picked up in the last couple of months or so that's helping me. Um, how you know the whole questioning thing, how you do use questions as coaches or when not to. You know, and, and that whole coach development sort of side of it is—is is you get to you get to test that, <laughs> yeah. um, quite a lot, and, and trial that, and see how that works a wee bit. But you, you know, from leading questions to, um, you know, you, just being self-aware of your, your failings or what you've been doing. You know, um, coaching some things. You know, it, it, it's great. It, it's a great atmosphere, coach development, to observe to observe people without any, we, we, you sit, as I say, you're in, but you're out, <laughs> you know, you're a helicopter. Um, and the benefits of being a helicopter, taking a helicopter view, um, where you can see so much, <laughs> um, but, you know, you, and, and, and effectively hear so much, 
um, but you're, you're not involved yeah. um, and you haven't got any of that sort of, um, uh, what's the word? Um, there's no threat to it all. You, you know, you, 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 you haven't planned it. So, you know, the, the, you're relaxed, I guess is what I'm saying. You've got a relaxed view of it. I think we we found that quite a lot with our peer observation stuff. Um, just the coach who's taken a step back generally sees loads more in his group than the person delivering the session because you're not worried about driving the standard or if they're doing it right or praise or when to talk to them, when not to talk to them. You're purely almost seeing what you see. And that ability to take a step back is is something that I know as a group of coaches, we're, we're trying to have chances to do that because you see your players in a different light as well when you're not constantly having to watch their every move. Being able to step back and see how they interact in a huddle or they interact in a 1v1 or all that type of stuff, I think is proven more and more invaluable. Yeah, it's massive. And, and, and how do your coaches... You know, how's your behaviours around that? Are you pretty open to each other? I think we're fortunate in a couple of ways. The first being we're all quite close. So because we're because we've got good like friendship relationships slash working relationships, everyone's relatively open to critique or questioning, which I think is the biggest one, question about why you're doing certain things. Um and I guess the other thing, we're probably quite young on our coaching journeys. Um, or yeah. a lot of the people I'm working with were quite quite young into it and so it's always bred, been bred into us ever since I've worked at the club and most of the people that I work with are younger than me at the moment we've always been, had experiences of being peer reviewed so because of that it's not different to us whereas I'd imagine if this was 15 years on for me and I'd never had it done and then it was being introduced it would be kind of an alien concept whereas because you know I've I've had it since the age of 21 22 for me it's just kind of oh, as another session it's a great way to get a bit of feedback or learn learn a session from someone that's the, the best bit of advice I ever had was uh your best coaches are your best thieves because they take someone else's session and adapt it to what they need so for me I just use it as a opportunity to go around and steal ideas <laughs> yeah, I like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree with that nick everything as I say um Nick as much as you can. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that I, we didn't we didn't have that when I, well, as much in my coaching journey, and I wish I had. Um, there's, you know, if you can break away from the ego side of it, and and that's something I've probably learned. It's just, you know, and it's probably it's probably easier now because I'm I'm not fighting to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I'm not fighting to do be take get that next job or be the first one that you know somebody else is a threat if I tell them too much, um, and that's where I'm finding a lot in our sport is well, it's probably in a lot of sports is people are, are willing to be more open now than they were um, and share which is brilliant, um, but having that open whole open mind as to what you know to change or want to change is, is, is a hell of important. And, you know, you know, how long ever I've been as coaches, the, the, the learning is, is still massive. And yeah, you know, so much, you just, 
you know, like I say, I, I wish I'd known a lot of what I'd known three years ago. I would have been a better coach. And I wish I'd gone and tried to find that out a wee bit more three years ago or had the time to. And, you know, what, what, I'm, what I'll probably learn from all this now is where I've gone, yeah, I've... You know, I've seen, even said to you at Southampton, I would love to come and watch some of your sessions, you know, to you or to bloody, um, you know, Dan, uh, Alice and, and, you know, Matt and Lee. <laughs> you have know, welcomed me down to Southampton a number of times. I just haven't gotten the car and gone, have I? Yeah. There's always some reason not to. And I, I'm kicking myself. To be honest, this is part of the reason why I started these podcasts. Because for me, I, I use it as a way of learning from different coaches or different people, and obviously I've got I've got yourself on at the moment, and I've had other guests from different sports. I've got Tom Reed who does judo. Yeah. Now, I had a five minute conversation with him prior to us doing the podcast, and we ended up having an hour and a half long conversation about judo and how they do it in judo. You know, I've had a Bob Skeleton athlete on. I'll have Paralympic swimmers and there'll, there'll be more people I have on. But part of the reason is it's just to spend time finding out from people their experiences, but also the way that their sport works. Because I think that football could, and I, I know that I can learn a lot from different sports and the way they do stuff. And as we said a minute ago, try and steal the best bits. Um, so it's, that's part of the reason why I started this was purely just to try and steal information from people to hopefully inform kind of what, what I do in, in my coaching. Yeah, I, I agree, right here. Look, you know, we're, we're lucky at team. We're lucky and we just, um, how, how much resource have we got on that Team Bath Sports Training Village, you know, masses, you know, from wide round. We've got international coaches to, you know, we've got premiership rugby, uh, football, and, and, you know, we're linked to, We've got premiership rugby coaches in there. You know, Mark Lilly is a premiership rugby coach. You know, judo, right, right through. We've got British swimming, British athletics, uh, UK hockey, GB hockey. It's all there. <laughs> <laughs> all in one building, just need to take advantage of it. Yeah, we'll go and have a coffee and get on. You know, do we get on with each other? Well, yes, we do. We just <laughs> we don't, don't, don't sit with each other. Yeah. So... You know, what I'll learn is, you know, what, what, what my actions from there is, is at least two hours a month because I've got to go and connect up with someone, you know, even if it's informal coffee, isn't it? Just to sit down it's, and have a conversation and it, it will flow and you'll pick up bits and go, actually, that was that was interesting. Yeah. That's something for me to think about. Well, the biggest challenge, oh, other than actually doing it, the second biggest challenge is, is keeping it to an hour, isn't it? That's what it'll be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Before you know it, you're both looking at your watches going, I'm actually late for my next meeting. We've got to shoot now. Yeah, it, it is. And, but then um, also also what I learned um, right here is, you know, it's even like, you know, we have good staff CPD meetings and, and staff get-togethers or, or, you know, one-to-ones. But, you know, it's almost, it's interesting you said, oh, you know, might organise another one. What we don't do very well, what I learned very well, is we, we, we should have two because there's follow-ups. You know, you learn so much and, you know, you, we've all been on a 
Baldwin probably to Southampton they had a good CPD and they all said we had a good t staff away day. Well, you actually, what's going to happen after that? Yeah. <laughs> and you need that follow-up day. Yeah. So I learned on this day and this is what I've done since. The actions I've put in place. Or, or reflecting on that day. I want to ask a wee bit more around this, so I want to dig in a wee bit more about this. And then I think that's when you get your really good learning and the really good follow-up. Um, because, you know, how many how many away days or have we been to or coach education sessions where we'll come out of it buzzed up as hell? And what are we actually doing with it now, you know? Yeah. And we're probably all guilty with that. Yeah. <laughs> Forgetting it, half of it, because you've listened for however long and maybe not made the amount of notes you were meant to or should have done or put the notepad away and don't look at it again for six months. Yeah. And and I think that's something I'm learning as well, righty, is, is follow-up times. Yeah. Two sessions. Yeah. Well, that's something I can definitely take away from this. I guess, listen, I appreciate you. Obviously, we've been on going for a while, so I'm going to wrap this up, but I'm going to ask you a question that I ask uh, everyone and um, kind of gives a bit of an insight into into you, I guess, is which is who's the best player that you've played with or against or coach you've kind of worked with or against and why? Uh, yeah. The best player of probably um, one of the best players was a guy Gareth Rees, um, who played for well, played for Canada a lot. I played for him at Was. Um, his skill set was amazing. He was uh, if you see him, if you look at him, he was probably. He's probably about three stone heavier than he should have been. But he had a higher skill set. He had a great personality and, and um, just willing. I just learned a lot off him. He was just good to be out on the pitch with and have discussions with um, on that. And he was a good leader. Um, great socially um, as a person as well. Um Pretty close with again with um, Lawrence Delalio, who uh, I sort of played a, a bit with, but it just his leadership and, and his drive, um, passion and drive um, on that. Uh, who I've co I, I think that's enough. I, I, I only asked for one. Yeah, no, well, that's fine, that's perfect. No, that's perfect. Well, listen, Aaron, I appreciate your time. And um, as you just said, then we'll have to check in again and, and do another one of these if you're up for it. Yeah. Cool, Thank you. Cheers to that, Aaron. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.